This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Dr. Paul Juris on, hailing from Brooklyn Boulders and Parts Unknown. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pete. Very glad to be here. Great. So you've got an illustrious background in the uh, science part of the fitness and nutrition space, which uh, usually trumps the sales and marketing side of the business. So I'm um, hoping you could give us a very uh, empirical view on how we solve obesity, how we solve loneliness, and we're going to do it in 30 minutes. So no pressure. Okay, let's solve the world's problems in 30 minutes. Let's there we go. go. So okay. why don't you start off um, by just giving your background here to our uh, to our listeners that include a lot of health club operators, entrepreneurs, uh, trainers, um, exercise enthusiasts, and and also people that are thinking about getting into the space um, and leaving their day jobs and joining our Halo community. So fire away. So uh, by training, I am a research scientist in kinesiology, exercise science, motor control, my doctorate's in motor learning, my master's degree is in exercise science. Um, I began my career as a professor of human movement studies and then sort of found my way through different industries, medicine, professional sports, fitness. Um, So I am a classically trained research scientist, uh, but along the way, I picked up a lot of business acumen because, of course, I work for businesses. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that science trumps marketing and business. I think at the end of the day, they have to coexist and mm-hmm. they have to work well together. And sometimes strict scientific principle is it's great, but it doesn't always work in business. And sometimes business practices overlook the fact that we have some scientific uh, evidence and things that can be useful, but for whatever reason, people choose to ignore those things. So I think it's really the confluence of the two that are really important and the way they coexist and the way we work together in order to bring science and business together is, is the key to success in our industry. Got it. So you started all the way back at, at Beth Israel and then, uh, spent some time with the, with the Dallas Mavericks. So, you know, how did, uh, you know, training professional athletes and, you know, keeping them at, at peak performance kind of guide you, you know, into the more commercial market. And, and, and how do you think those um, training practices and, and regimen are now kind of coming to the mass market? That's a really interesting question. You know, for me working with anyone and, and when I, I was working with the Mavericks and before that I was working at when you mentioned Beth Israel, I was doing rehab work on the Knicks, and I also had a regular patient population at Beth Israel. And and the reality is the training isn't all that different. It's the objectives and goals that are different and the level at which people have to perform. That's different. But ultimately, everybody wants to get back to doing the things that they like to do, whether it's just going outside and hiking and skiing or playing a professional sport. So what we need to do is understand the demands on the individual and the level of performance they need to achieve, and then sculpt those programs and create those programs to actually meet those needs. What's really fascinating to me, though, is when we talk about athletic performance or peak performance or what high-performing athletes do, um, 
there's a reason why they're called elite athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's because there are very few people in the world that can function at that level. I think where normal people, everyday people get into trouble is when they try to train like an elite athlete. They can't. I mean, elite athletes are genetically gifted so that they can perform at that level. And when the rest of us, us, us we normal people, try to right. do that, we end up hurting ourselves because we just don't have the capacity to perform at that level. So we really need to look at it like, what can we take from that and mm-hmm. scale back and, and make more accessible and more normal to the individual so that they can enjoy what that is without pushing themselves too hard. Gotcha. Yeah. So an 82 game season is not something that you should try to do while you also have a day job. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, or training, you know, to be able to run, you know, sub 10 second, hundred meter sprints and things like that, or, or jumping <laughs> through the building. I mean, you know, it's just, most people can't do that. And so what's the point in trying to train for that? It's like, let's train for the things we can accomplish. So you, so you were at Equinox, you know, I would, I would say during a very pivotal um, time in their, their history from 99 to 2004 is when I think they really kind of, you know, created this, this elite, um, you know, elite brand and, and, and following. Um, and, and obviously a, a lot of that was based on trying to become, you know, the, the best weekend warrior you can, I would say. And also, um, you know, people that wore the Equinox shirt and brand, you know, that stood for something. It stood for a lifestyle. So when you were at the building, the, the fitness training Institute at Equinox, how did you think about, you know, can I get people to 80% of, you know, an elite athlete or, um, you know, I'm going to infuse science in here as much as possible, but still make it attainable. How, how did you toggle between the two? So the, the notion of developing people towards elite athleticism really wasn't a part of that program. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring as much scientific rigor into the program as possible. The problem in in doing so is sometimes the language, the terminology, uh, the programming itself is too far advanced that people don't understand it. And the, the big issue that people have to really try to come to grips with is as much as we want things to be scientific, we need to be able to explain those things to the public. And if they don't get it, then the program's not going to work. So while we want a real scientific foundation for what we do, we need to have a simplicity in the dialogue and language that allows people to connect to what you're doing. And so what we did first was we developed a training program for the fitness staff that was really founded in empirical science. And I introduced movement science to that program which at the time didn't really exist in the fitness industry. So we took a whole movement science platform, introduced it into the training and development program for fitness staff. And then they started to apply that to their their clients and our members. And it worked really well. And, you know, it was a really good experience at the time. Equinox was a family owned business. They were really developing their brand and what they wanted to accomplish. And it was just a great opportunity to introduce something new. And, you know, now, 20 some odd years later, people are beginning to 
understand what movement science is all about and they're following suit. So when, when you were back, uh, you know, if we, if we roll back, back the clocks to 99 to 2004, and, and one of the comments that a lot of our health club operators talk about is, yeah, I've got a personal training department and, you know, I've got kids that are NASM or ACE certified and I kind of throw them onto the floor and, um, you know, we try and make a 50% margin. And I believe that there is not an intensive training program. There's not feedback loops. There aren't um, daily or weekly assessments of how their members are doing. Um, it's more of, do we, did we sell them a 10 pack? Did we get them on an EFT, you know, eight PT sessions a month? Like how did you instill this culture of education and continuous improvement and what are you seeing in the space now where your hair stands up on the back of your neck if you have any uh you know that that you say look i wish people would start to embrace xyz that's a really interesting question so my issue with looking at the business model is that we can stare at the bottom line all day long and we can look at profitability and margins all day long. But what we really need to understand is what it takes to move those numbers and just trying to sell people packages and discount them and make something attractive from a financial perspective. It works on some level, but I think the fitness consumer is getting more sophisticated and more savvy and realizing that, hey, you know, I'm spending all this money and am I really getting the results that I want out of it? Am I, am I experiencing what I want to experience in this process? Do I really like what I'm doing? And so my focus has always been on creating the best possible experience and the way you do that is by developing a training core that really understands how to solve problems for people, how to engage people, how to interact with them, how to develop a partnership and relationship with people so that they are comfortable and confident in what we're doing. And that does relate to the education part. Education in the fitness industry has really gone through some interesting changes. And I don't necessarily want to say evolution because evolution presumes that it's always improving and getting better. And I don't necessarily think that's the case here, right. but we went through an education process in which there was virtually no education at all. Trainers were out there hurting people. And so the next step in the process for education with certification was to tell people just what not to do. It was all based on the do no harm process. Mm. Here's what you can't do. Yeah. Right. So it's like a more of a, uh, like a, at the pool, there's things you can't do at the pool versus here's things you should do at the pool. That's right. And, and those education programs were spent, were really focused more so on what you shouldn't do. And I always question, well, what's left to do after all of this stuff that we can't do. <laughs> and by the way, you know, when I was working in orthopedic rehab, and I had patients coming in with ACL injuries and, you know, I did focus mostly on ACL. I had physicians telling me like, okay, work with these patients, but you can't do this, 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 and this, and just can't do it. It's ruled out. And then they'd see those patients four months later, jumping and running and cutting and doing all the things that they did before they got hurt and even better than they did before they got hurt. And mm -hmm. 
the doctors would say to me, like, how did you do that? And I said, remember all those things you told me not to do? Well, I did them. So <laughs> it's you, you solve the problems that are in front of you. And, and therein lies one of the issues with education. It, it has gotten so rote and so recipe driven. And then, of course, the physical therapists jumped into the industry and said, no, no, this is how we rehabilitate people. So this is how you need to train people. And I have a fundamental issue with that. I mean, what we do in rehabilitation is designed to help people overcome serious injuries and 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 dysfunction. To presume that everybody's dysfunctional, I think, is is wrong. And I think just because we do something for someone who's injured, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work well when they're not injured. And so we had all these physical therapists fall into the industry and just said, no, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Not here are all the different options that you have in front of you and pick and choose the ones that are going to work. It's no, this is right and this is wrong. And we ended up in this black and white world in which we discarded everything we ever did because here's the new normal and here's the new way of doing it. And what I've seen is all these trainers coming out that are just robotic in the way they do things. And Mm -hmm. they subscribe to these formulas and recipes and they work for some people, but they don't work for other people. And of course, now we're solving everybody's dysfunction. It's all corrective exercise. Look, nobody wants to be corrected in fitness. This isn't math class. Let's get people in and moving and enjoying what they do and doing more of it. Let's stop correcting people. Let's stop solving people's physical problems because we're personal trainers. We're not physical therapists. Mm. We can't think the way they do. We can't operate the way they do. So I think the industry's kind of skidded off in this direction. And trainers don't know how to think anymore. They don't know how to think. They don't know how to solve problems. And they don't know when to do an exercise when it's appropriate, even if conventional wisdom says it's the wrong exercise. There's no such thing as conventional wisdom. So, yeah, we, we've kind of gone off the rails a little bit here lately. What do you think the way to bring that back into some normal level of either co- group group um, collective exercise review, or I'm thinking more along the lines of you know, telemedicine where you can get a X-ray scan and it can automatically go out to five or 10 specialists. And this way, you know that you've gotten your review and it's not just one-off assessment of what you need to do. Is is there a evolution towards that? Is there an evolution towards further training? Is there a industry standard board that comes to be, or is it going to be just fragmented and freestyle? That That's an interesting question as well. I, as far as an industry standard, um, that's questionable because in order to do that, we need to have a single governing organization that does it like the APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association. We don't have that in fitness and fitness. There are a multitude of certifying organizations out there. And as soon as someone says, we need one, there's going to be a dogfight for who's responsible or who's in control because there's so much money at stake. And so it would be curious to see if that actually ever comes around. The, the other part of it is just the industry insulating itself against negligence because – 
for someone to be negligent in what they're doing, they have to be operating outside of the standard of, of practice. And if there is no real standard of practice, then how do you prove negligence anywhere? So there's this insulatory environment that exists. Um, I, I like the idea of this sort of global virtual group expertise. I think that's a really neat idea that potentially could evolve into something, but then it takes the personal out of personal training, right? So now you have a board of, of experts that are weighing in. Um, I've seen when personal trainers do that with people, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen, right? So mm -hmm. I think so, it's always worth it for people to get a second opinion. And I think it, you know, we, we have to have a process whereby people can have multiple eyes on them. But if you're running a business and you're trying to get people to buy into your personal training program and you've got three trainers all telling somebody a different thing, it's going to be hard to sell that person on anything. Part of the premise of a successful program is making sure that everybody's singing off the same song sheet. Right. So as a director of uh, sports science now with Brooklyn Boulders, how are you infusing all of your knowledge into specific exercises or techniques or functional training that will make people better. And thank you for using the term results because I was reading a Planet Fitness research report the other day and it was 30 pages and it didn't have the word results in it. And I left thinking maybe this isn't a fitness company. This is a laundromat. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment negatively on individual providers, but results are everything. I mean, the, you know, we talk about delivering results. The funny thing about fitness is very few people actually measure it. So there are a few things we're doing at Brooklyn Boulders, which we think are different from the industry standard. And the first thing is we are measuring people on a regular basis. It's something that a lot of fitness operators resist doing because if you have a member and you're tracking them and you don't show them the results that you're claiming to provide for them, the fear is you're going to lose that member because they're not getting what they want. And so that kind of paralyzes people. We don't want that. We want people to know that we're in this with them side by side all the way. And by the way, if there's a, an area of their fitness that is not improving, let's figure out how to solve that. Right. So not everybody is going to improve in everything that they do. They, they don't have the time to spend at the gym. They don't have the necessary focus. And certainly without a, a regular assessment program, it's hard to know where people are improving and where they're not. So we do it on a regular basis. Every one of our members is assessed at least three times a year, hopefully more because it becomes voluntary after that. But we want to show them their baseline values and we want to track them over time. And this is something that most people don't do. Individual trainers may do it, but on an organizational level, it's rarely seen. The other thing that we're doing is we're working very, very deeply in emergent technology and looking at different technological applications that can help our members better understand how they're performing. Mm -hmm. And so we're sort of changing the game on how technology is used. Can you talk a little bit about what types of modalities you're putting in or what types of technologies you like and which ones you don't like without naming brands? Or you can name them and then we'll bleep them out. <laughs> it's okay. 
Um, I'll talk a little bit in generalities. And we, so take heart rate monitoring, for example. I mean, that's pretty much ubiquitous now. And the thing about it is, interestingly enough, people have really, you know, years ago when the heart rate, the initial heart rate monitors came out, you know what happened with those products. People used them for a while, they tracked their heart rate over time, and then those things ended up in a drawer. Sure. Because there's just so much information that we need to see. And after a while, you look at it and you say, ah, I already get this. I know what I'm doing, so I don't need this thing anymore. And we lose interest in it. In the boutique space, it's become very popular because we've got you know heart rate zones out there and zone training. And we look at all the calories that we're burning. The, the challenge that I have with it is that the heart rate monitors themselves are highly accurate. The calorie counts coming off of them are highly inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And people are chasing calories. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people to look at it a little bit differently. Calories are fine. Understanding that baseline is okay. But, you know, look, if, if I'm, let's go back to heart rate for a second and calories. If, if I'm a marathon runner and I want to know how I performed, I'm not going to look at my heart rate data. I'm going to look at my time. Sure. Time is the value. If I'm if I'm in it to lose weight, I can look at my calories. But at the end of the day, the only real measure that I need to take is what does the bathroom scale say? Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't tell me what my body composition is, but neither do calories. So if I want to know if I'm losing weight, I just should weigh myself. Yeah, or just get a mirror. Or get <laughs> and look at yourself, right? So you don't so the calories are important, but they're not the be-all end all. And so what the last piece of it is calories are different when people are moving in different ways. And so what is now starting to emerge in the scientific literature is uh, research which uses accelerometry along with heart rate measures in order to better and more accurately measure caloric output based on body position and body activity. And that's what we're doing. So we use accelerometers as well as heart rate monitors and combine them in order to give us much more accurate information. And then with accelerometry, we can also measure the output. So as I said, if you're going to run a marathon, time is your key measure. If you want to see how you're doing in an exercise regimen, we can measure force output. And that's really the key indicator. Is your force improving over time? Is your power improving over time? Those are things you measure with an accelerometer, not with a heart rate monitor. So we're starting to put all these things together and give people a more uh, comprehensive view into what they're doing and how they're performing. So about 10 years ago, I started doing the body for life and I had a nice roadmap of what to eat and what exercises to do. Uh, as you look at all the information that's being provided now to the consumer, whether it's on apps, whether it's from the clubs, whether it's from a personal trainer, and you, you go back to what you did 25, 30 years ago, where it's a very simple, here's the plan, here's the results, almost uh, whether it's like a red, yellow, green, and here's the track. How do you, uh, from your level and being the director of sports science and being an authority, how do you help people cut through the clutter and say, here, let me give you a very simple roadmap you know, with all the innovation that's out there and all the noise, let me kind of clear this up for you so it's not intimidating because that seems to be one of the biggest issues that I'm seeing with so much information overload. 
Yeah, it's a great point. I think not only is there more information, but the delivery vehicles that we have to get that information to the public are, are just expanding exponentially. There's so many different ways that people are getting access to information. And, you know, as a as the people who are providing the resources and, and the advice and the counseling to all of these folks, I think keep it simple is the way to do it. At the end of the day, there are basically two things that we need to do. We need to keep our bodies moving. And it doesn't mean that we have to be jumping around doing all these wacky functional things. I mean, getting on a machine and making your muscles work is a good thing. Um, we need to keep people moving and we just need to help them understand that if they're going to throw junk down their mouth, it's not going to help them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like to use the term weight loss programming because unless we're giving very, very scientifically driven nutritional advice, which of course is coming off of DNA analyses, of course, which you can get today, um, you know, really you just need to know what not to eat. Right. Not necessarily what you have to eat. I mean, if you're loading yourself up with carbohydrates and sugars, yeah, it's going to be harder to lose weight. And we can give people a great exercise regimen, but if they don't control what they eat, and we have no control over that, by the way, then it's very difficult to say that somebody's going to lose weight. And my point about the calories, if we have a device that's telling you that you're going to lose a thousand calories in a particular activity that you're doing, but in reality, you're only losing 600 because the device was inaccurate in its calculation. You're going to walk out of there saying, oh, I burned a thousand calories. So if I ate 700 calories today, I'm going to lose weight. But in reality, you only burned 600 calories. And so you have a positive caloric balance and now you're gaining weight. And so you don't understand you're tracking all these things and you're not losing weight. And I think what we really need to do is simplify this process eliminate a lot of the noise and get people to understand here are the fundamental things that everybody needs to do on a daily basis in order to be healthy mm -hmm. and to take care of their body and to get themselves, you know, out of this cycle, uh, which is, you know, leading to obesity and diabetes and everything that we're doing. And, and the intimidation factor is a big part of it. Making things fun, I think, is also what we've lost sight of. You know, I learned this, I was walking down the street in Manhattan and I saw all these people running around the streets in Manhattan and I saw that they help, were holding a cell phone while they were running around. And you know, I was talking to my kids and I said, what, look at all these people, look what they're doing. And they said, yeah, they're playing Pokemon Go. And I'm thinking, holy moly, these people are exercising and they don't even know it. Right. And I, that's part of what we need to do with, with fitness now is just make it fun. If you can get it engaging and fun so that people don't realize that they're really exercising, they're just having a good time, hey, that's going to work. Gotcha. So in closing here, what are some of the quotes that you either are known for or like to say, uh, whether it's uh, related to getting people healthier or results or in your management style as we're, we're, a, we're a quote, we're becoming a quote library over here. A quote library. And now you're really pushing me on the spot. <laughs> like you asked me tough questions and I was, I thought I'd kind of rose to those and you did. now you I did. have no answer for you. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not one to cite, you know, quotes and cliches. Um, 
I think that, you know, we need to make fitness more accessible. I think we need to help people understand the values uh, that are meaningful, that will keep them moving in a positive direction. Um, to me, there's no conventional wisdom. There's, you know, if, if knowledge were common and everybody would have it, there's just, it's not we need to really dispense with the notion that just because everybody says something is true, it's not necessarily true. That's a quote in and of itself. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure having you on. Keep doing what you're doing to get everyone healthier here. We'll do our part. You do our part. You'll do your part. And I hope that we uh, meet sometime in person soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure and keep doing what you're doing. I Excellent. appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Paul. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.